Please enter your access code followed by the pound or hash sign. I'm Alex Kaufman, and you have dialed in to PodSAM, an off-season project of me, the Wintry Mix podcast guy, and Sam Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. This is the kickoff of our six-episode batch, derived from the highlights of Sam's Summit series, which brought together industry leaders, aka the mentors, with a question-asking audience of 10 middle management up-and-comer types from resorts across the U.S. Episode 1 mentors you are about to hear from are Jody Churich, Executive VP and COO of Powder Corp and Woodward, and Bill Jensen, CEO and partner at Telluride, on the topic of management skills. Jody started her ski industry career in 1998 as Director of Sales and Marketing at Alpine Meadows and went on to be GM of Boreal and Soda Springs, as well as a 2012 Sammy Award winner. She's now serving on the executive team at Powder Corp. Bill's influential industry career spans 43 years, starting in 1974 as a lift operator at Mammoth. Along the way, holding GM and COO titles at Northstar, Breckenridge, and Vail, to name a few, then a lengthy run as CEO of IntraWest prior to his current perch as partner and CEO at Telluride. Because this was derived from actual conference calls, there's a bit of typical phone interference and such, but it's totally worth it. Throughout these episodes, you will also occasionally hear from Paul Tallner, founder of High Peaks Group, an organizational change consultancy. Paul served as moderator on the series of calls, so let's get started. Paul? Okay, great. Great. Well, thanks a lot, and uh, welcome, everybody. And uh, it's really uh, exciting uh, kickoff to this with our first session here about management. really want to understand a little bit more about what uh, management is and why is it uh, such, impor- such an important topic for you. So quickly, you know, share a story of a moment in your early career, maybe uh, a phase in your career that's uh, similar to those participating, um, that where you learned an important lesson in management. One of the mentees on the, on the call here will remember this moment, but really it started for me on day one as a general manager. Um, so, so going from a functional leader on the management or executive team of of the resort group um, and heading into general management, I had a pretty significant decision to make um, as it relates to capital planning. Um, There had been a GM in in his position um, and had really earmarked uh, a few million dollars in capital against um, a lodge expansion. And when I jumped into the general manager seat, I had to really define um, what success looked like from my lens. In doing so, I really felt um, there was a deficiency um, and an opportunity um, to look outdoors instead of indoors um, and got pretty curious around how could we redefine the, the lift infrastructure and snowmaking. And so diverted the the money instead of to internal infrastructure and expanded seating to outdoor and really focused on the product um, on snow. And I remember the terror going through um, making that 
that pretty huge strategic decision to really put it in the outdoor product versus the indoor experience. You know, having gone through that and now looking back on that was, oh gosh, 10 years ago now. Um, Had we not done that infrastructure to the snowmaking and then having years of drought in California, um, come online afterwards. I mean, it was, it was critical, um, that we did it at that time and, um, big diversion and, and happy with the success of it, but, um, kind of putting yourself out there. Um, and like I say, owning it, you know, as Jody pointed out, you're going to get to a point where you have to make a big decision and mine, mine will be very much the same. You know, I was, um, I was general manager of North Star at Tahoe at 39, and um, when I came there, I came from Sunday River where I'd been the vice president of marketing, and I got there, and they had just put in two detachable Doppelmeyer lifts two years before, and I had EcoSign um, come in and take a look at North Star to kind of identify what you know some of our future opportunities were, and Paul Matthews said to me, you know, Bill, one of those detachable lifts you put in it on the wrong alignment. It needed to be moved over about 80 feet and go up the hill another 200 feet, and then the lift would be perfect. And, I mean, literally, just like Jody, my first year, I made the decision to literally take out a brand-new chairlift and reposition it. And I think, you know, if my memory's right, this was about 19... 90 summer of 1992 and you know it was a million dollar plus decision that um literally the resort had just made you know two or three years before um and you know in my career you know this was my first job running a ski area and when i got to north star they were doing 230,000 skier visits and three years later we broke 500,000 and they've never looked back um and, you know, and I sit there and say, you know, and I never thought of that decision as driving skier visits, but it changed the experience for people who were skiing the mountain. And again, those are, you know, you know, as a general manager like Jody, you know, those are big decisions that influence outcomes, but we all have to start with the smaller decisions. And I just think having some mindfulness or awareness about opportunities that you have in your 20s and 30s to truly start to influence outcomes in the organization you work in is a is a key um, skill set that you have to develop in your 20s and your 30s what what did you carry forward from those experiences that you still use today you know like some of you on the phone i mean I, I literally started as a lift operator my first season and then was a lift supervisor and then a lift manager. And, you know, you do training and you do payrolls and you do scheduling. And, you know, those are all the tactical things of management. You deal with the issues that pop up from time to time. You know, the transition to leadership is, is um, you know, most of us um, probably develop our leadership skill models from, um, people that we work with or role models that we're around and we observe. And I think, you know, observation is important, but no two leaders are alike. Um, you know, I've learned that and 
you know, you, you develop a leadership style that, based on your experience, works well for you. And, you know, with, when I think about my jobs as I've gotten to you know, the, top, the top levels is, um, you know, when people ask me, what's, what's the, your biggest challenge or the most important thing that you do? And, you know, I talk as a leader is it's my responsibility to create a culture that allows us to succeed and you know the, the words i look for in my in the culture i create is you know um i need people particularly my managers i need people to be engaged you know and i was you know you can look at an organization and not everybody's going to be engaged for some people i just need a job you know and particularly in our business that seasonal you hire somebody and they come in and all they're trying to do is get a paycheck and a, seat, a pass and get as many days in riding or skiing as they can. But when you move people to management, you really, you know, my style is to give them as much autonomy. And, you know, I have a rule, a leadership rule is leaders set boundaries. They don't make rules. Mm, we've, right. all worked for, we've all worked in organizations that were very rules focused. And I don't believe that that is a leadership style that will allow the organization to grow and, and prosper. You know, I gave a talk to my management team about leadership and about leadership styles, and I kind of pinpointed on six different styles, but one is there, there's two types of leaders. There's listening types of leaders, and then there's talking types of leaders, and it, you know, neither one is good or bad, but you have to make a decision about what your leadership style is going to be. and. You know, and the story I shared is, you know, when I worked for Bell Resorts, Adam Aaron was the chairman and CEO, and, you know, I love Adam. Adam was a talking style leader. Um, you know, for the executive team, we met every Monday at 1 o'clock. Uh, there was never an agenda. Adam was always 15 minutes late, and he came in and talked nonstop for two hours. Nobody said a word, and then the last five minutes he said, well, okay, you guys have anything for me? And that was the end of the meeting, and it was like that every single week. And, you know, and, and I said, you know, that's the leadership style. Now, why it worked is because Adam turned to his executive team and said, I trust you guys. You guys make the decisions. Do what you think needs to get done. So it wasn't this hierarchical organization. You know, and then I kidded. I said, you know, we had our current president of the United States from a leadership style. Is he a listening leader or a talking leader? You know, and again, you know, he's a talking leader. And I, I really believe, you know, for my leadership style, and I'm a big advocate of a listening leadership style. And I always say that anybody that walks in my office, you know, it's always open door. But I really try to make my leadership style, when they talk to me, the first thing I do is ask three questions before I give my opinion on something. And a lot of that is just so I can understand how much they've thought about it, you know? And, you know, right. I always look and ask them the questions. And the third question is, so what's your recommendation? Because I want people to own, own their areas of responsibility and I want them to feel like they are a decision maker. So you just try to, as a leader, you try to create a culture that that environment can be successful and thrive. The PodSAM conversation continues after this quick thank you to one of our Summit Series founding sponsors, Mountain Guard. Mountain Guard has been serving the ski industry since 1962, 
providing resort special coverages, education, claims handling, and risk management expertise. Learn more at mountainguard.com. I'm going to actually ask a question that's slightly off uh, off our uh, scheduled set of questions here, just for both of you. It's really um, curious to know, like, is there a moment or a piece of advice, or you know, from a from a leader in your path? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, for me, I've I've been a big fan of people that are driven via purpose in what they do. And, and I happen to work for a company. Um, John Cumming is the, the founder and the, the CEO. And his, his background was he was a mountaineer. Um, and so through mountain climbing and his experiences in the outdoors and really kind of finding his soul in the outdoors is what his personal purpose was at um, really creating powder. Um, as a company, and I find that to be really a, a anchor point for me, having been with him and the company for over 20 years, 24 years or so now. Um, I've always really admired the fact that our company is rooted in a deep love of mountains and inspiring great experiences and awesome places, which happens to be our mission and our vision. I should say. And for me, I feel like it's it's grounded in everything we do. Everything we think about is playing forever, like an enduring company with core values about venturing more mm. and really um, taking those core values in, in and weaving it through, pulling it through everything that we do. So when you are faced with tough decisions, you can always ground yourself in why we're doing it. You know, for you guys on the phone, I, I started my career at Mammoth and I spent, you know, I think my first four years there, and um, I just went back to Mammoth two or three weekends ago for my first boss, and, and who happened to turn into be my best friend, but for his retirement party after 48 years at Mammoth, and you know, and I at that that event, you know, I had a chance to speak, and I I reflected on, you know, that Dave McCoy who founded Mammoth and. Um, you know, was involved in Mammoth for literally, you know, 60, 60 years, um, was an inspiration for me, but also an inspiration for almost everybody that worked at Mammoth. You know, Bill Cockroft, who was my first boss, really actually built the foundation to my career. The things I learned from him were that there's creative solutions to every problem, and to stop, you know, and think about it for a minute, to think about all the solutions you have. Every job that you undertake, you you want to do it um, to the best of your ability. And to me, it's whether I'm writing a letter on my computer or, you know, I'm out outside or we're building something. But when you get to that point that it's almost finished, to sit and say, so if, if I spent a couple more minutes on this, how can I make it better? Or if I spend another hour on this, how can I make it better? And, you know, and the things that I learned from that I carried with me for my career is I kind of, I call it a 2% rule. And no matter what task I'm doing, you know, both professionally or personally, as I complete it, I always look to find 2% more that I can do to make it better. Um, and I do that constantly in my life, you know, in every aspect of my life. And the other, the other thing I've learned is, you know, what we choose to do, always do it well. You know, first off, I learned how to juggle three balls. And then and as you got promoted, you learned how to juggle five. But, 
you know, when you get to a level, you know, where Jody is or where I've been, you know, sometimes you actually have to juggle seven or eight or ten balls, and the rule is you can't you can't drop any of them. You know, and at some point, I actually can, I have to make a decision and say I can't juggle any more balls. You know, because it doesn't right. help you to just keep taking things on and then fall short. So you know what you so you know come back to just this mindset of what we choose to do, we do it well, and um, I've used that for you know, 25 years, of last 25 years of my career. Um, Jody, Bill, I want to turn the page a little bit and talk a little bit about sort of, you know, a little bit more hands-on, a little bit more practical stuff. And, and just when you think about managers, like you, you kind of have, uh, you can survey uh, the landscape, uh, not just currently, but just over your careers to see other managers uh, and in their work and in their roles. So can you tell me a little bit about, you know, first of all, what do managers actually do? And then uh, how do you know you've spotted a good one? <laughs> you know, the, there's two sort of categories I look at is the individual itself and comparing on the four sort of what I call key sort of hallmarks, you know, their level of curiosity, insight, engagement, determination. So those are, you know, um, some of the qualities that I, I start with, and then I look at the competencies, if you will, the essential sort of executive performance areas where are they results oriented, um, strategic orientation, um, collaboration and influence, um, how, do they, how do they behave in team leadership areas, um, obviously organizational capabilities. Um, I think one that we overlook and that I've probably a, a point that I struggle the most with is change leadership. You know, when you know, you know, can people be flexible and nimble and, and make the hard changes that need to happen? Um, a good understanding of the market. And I think also importantly inclusiveness um i yeah. i i you know when bill talked a bit about leadership style i'm very much um team oriented um i like to th uh, group think that's really the landscape that i i thrive in as a leader and one thing i would say to the group is as you think about you know leveling up and your career aspirations and what does success look like for you um in this industry one of the things that became very clear to me um, going from middle management to general management and above is that being in the number one seat is very different than being in the number two seat. When you're making critical decisions, you know, it, it squarely rests on your shoulders when you're making, you know, decisions to run lifts and storms and teams you're putting out, uh, you know, just there's a million different anecdotes to things that happen um, in operations so technical um, as ski resorts. There's so many variables that I, I will say that underestimating what it feels like to be the number one as opposed to the number two is just, it's really, it's a, it's a big difference. So, you know, I, I guess I look at managers and, um, you know, I always, I always joke that, you know, after, you know, to Olivia's point of 43 years in, in the industry is, um, you know, I, I, I probably have the qualifications that have the job I have because of 
my experiences and track record and you know I would say but I don't think I can transfer over to managing or operating a nuclear power plant because I don't have those skill sets and you know people walk in who somehow having a midlife crisis decided that they want to work in the ski industry and have not worked in the business at all and there's you know as the 10 people that are listening on the phone today is every day is different there's so many nuances to the business um, and what it comes down to me is yes I want a, a manager that's skilled in the area that they're working in that they have a track record of achievement um, so they've you know as I like to say you know and Jody's probably at that point in their career too is I've seen the movie and I know how it's going to turn out because I've had 43 years of experiences and you know and that helps in decision making but what i'm really looking for in my younger managers and mid managers is you know i'm looking for consistency you know because that's mm -hmm. what this business requires regardless of the obstacles that are thrown at us consistency in execution or delivery yeah, or consistency yeah consistency and execution you know it's just gotcha. you know you, you've got to build some structure you've got to do some things but ultimately you know, as you watch people develop and grow, you know, the real the real key to me is just watching decision making. You know, and that's why mm -hmm. when people come to me, and you know, and you know, long ago in my career, it was like, well, you know, here I've got the monkey, and I want to put it on your shoulder now. And you have to be very careful about taking the monkey. You know, and I so I always start. You know, I come back to, so what do you think? And um, you know, and when you say what do you think? it really gives you insights into how much time they've spent thinking about a something. But over time, it gives me confidence, you know, my hope is it gives me confidence in just their ability to make decisions, um, both you know, in, in the routine, but, you know, outside the routine, you know, to Jody's point, you know, there's, you know, stuff happens in this business that, um, you know, some decisions that we have to make are critical. And, um, you know, I have, you know, I, I like strong communication, but um, my leadership style is I don't, I don't have to, nor do I want to make every decision, you know, and, and you know, and talks about leadership is, you know, the real responsibility of leadership is to let decisions get made at the lowest level possible in the organization. But as a leader, you have, have confidence that those individuals are going to make a thoughtful and appropriate decision. For me personally, when I'm when I'm looking at managers or, or potential leaders, I think I always go to: Have they done their research? Have they allocated? You know, have they thought through the resources? You know, have they fostered collaboration? I, I look for those types of decision-making elements, you know, I, I like a manager that will think out of the box and get a little creative and curious about new ways to do things. I think I'm less excited when someone says, yeah, but we've always done it this way. I find managers become successful by, by really venturing out and, and doing their homework and maybe even looking outside of our industry um, for solutions. When I was 26, you know, I was at Mammoth, and I had a chance to, uh, because I was on the fire department at Mammoth as well, you know, I had a chance when paramedic schools were first 
the paramedic programs were first kind of implemented across the United States, and particularly I was in California. And so I had an opportunity to take a leave of absence and go to paramedic school for six months. And, you know, the first first eight weeks were 40 hours a week, a classroom, and then, um, then it was um, five weeks of six days a week. 12 hour shifts in a hospital and you know I mean you know it's amazing you know I mean I delivered babies and you know worked in you know cardiac care wards and I mean IV teams and all that but then I did a internship with LA County Fire Department for three months in East Los Angeles which is you know a, a bit gang related and gunshots and drug overdoses and just you know a variety of things but um you know probably the most valuable decision making or leadership role is you know because i was also a firefighter i i went on fires and we we went on a five alarm warehouse fire i mean when we first rolled on it we didn't know it was going to be five alarm but you know and you you know you're 26 and you're a male and you get to throw on an air pack and grab a fire hose and run into a building building it's you know it's it's about as you know (laughs) endorphin epinephrine thing you can do but you know i was in the building and you know i was in the middle of a blazing fire and and uh, you know you're listening on the radio and you know the battalion chief arrived on scene and then the deputy chief um arrived on scene and then the assistant chief arrived on scene and then you know i mean this thing turned into a whopping fire and um you know i there was a radio came over and it said air one on scene meaning the chief of the fire department came in a helicopter and um what was interesting was that he landed he landed two or three blocks away and went up to a top of a building so he could see the entire scene of the fire and the challenges and where the people were positioned and you know i thought to myself you know after that fire i thought to myself you know that it was an incredibly valuable lesson in decision making and leadership is and i pass this story on is the bigger the problem the farther away we need to get from it so that you can see you can see the whole picture and um and what i've learned is you know it doesn't mean i have to go stand on the top of a building but as problems are presented, and I watch this in my managers, as problems are presented is the more challenging the, pro- the problem, the more you want to give yourself time and see the whole picture and think about it. And so, you know, people will come to me constantly every day and some decisions are easy to make, but some decisions, and I just have a line is, I want to sleep on that. That means I literally can sleep on it or I want to wait two weeks to make the decision because, you know, and so when I look at managers, you know, what probably scares me more is, you know, particularly when managers are young is I'm just going to make decisions like machine gun and none of us are perfect. Um, You know, no matter where I am in my career, I still, you know, on, on, on big decisions, I mean, I have a risk that I'm not going to make the right decision and I want more time to think about it and I want more time. But, you know, as a manager for the people that are on the phone, you know, just be conscious of your decision making, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. some decisions you can make instantaneously, some decisions you can think about for two minutes and make, but some decisions you should park and you should 
take that. I want to sleep on that decision to give yourself more time, collect more information, um, and make that decision. And you know, and to me, the the interesting thing, and you know, if we go back to 9/11 in New York, what was fascinating to me was that both the the command of the New York Police Department and the Fire Department set up their command posts in the lobby of the Trade Center buildings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then both those buildings collapsed and they literally wiped out the leadership of both the Fire Department and the Police Department. And, you know, no one ever thought a building would collapse. So I don't fault them for making it, but I always, I kept going, I wonder why they didn't go take a step back and get five blocks away and manage the situation from there. So you guys just remember, you know, the bigger decision, just take a step or two steps back figuratively and give yourself a little more time to think about what the best, the best decision is. If there is one takeaway today, Bill, you've completely outlined, I would a hundred percent agree that um, you can't think clearly from a clouded, mind and and gaining that clarity um takes time um you know the higher up you go in an organization there's a lot more influence and politics and you know you want to do what's right for ownership and there's a lot of opinions and and uh, even at some level egos and you you can't make great decisions if you're not focused and have clarity in your thinking. So I, I completely agree with Bill on that. The Pod Sam conversation continues after this quick thank you to another of our Summit Series founding sponsors, Colorado State University. CSU's online ski resort management certificate prepares you with the fundamentals for a competitive edge in the ski industry. Earn a graduate certificate in ski area management online at skiareamanagementcert.com. For a lot of folks, you know, um, it's pretty stressful to uh, be in a position to make a lot of, um, you know, uh, consequential decisions. So uh, doing things to really kind of recharge your batteries and get, you know, uh, grounded in kind of even your values and, you know, who, what you who, what you stand for and who you are is another way to... Um, kind of uh, be on a solid platform to make big consequential or even less big uh, but still consequential decisions uh, and uh, you know that's a that's a big piece of, of, of leadership is getting clear on uh, on who you are as well absolutely, absolutely. yeah <laughs> and I would say you know there's a few female um, mentees on the on the phone here and you know, um, it's a real thing being a female in a pretty male dominated industry. I see a a shift happening and obviously NSAA with new, um, leadership happening, um, on the female side, it's important to understand how to navigate. It, It doesn't mean anybody views you as different. Um, but you know, you have to have the confidence to, to just get right in there and, and play your best game and, and bring, you know what you have to the table not get yourself in a in a position where you feel like you're the minority but you just have to have a a go for it mentality i'd reinforce jody's point there i mean and you know and i i'm the first to acknowledge and that her point about being female in a male-dominated business but you know i've always i've always believed that um 
regardless of gender, everybody's intelligent, everybody uh, is capable. And But ultimately, one of the skills to her point of leadership is, in the end, you have to be confident. You can't be arrogant and you can't be egotistical, but you have to be confident and you have to be confident in the decisions you're making. And you clearly have to show that. Um, if you're if you're constantly second guessing yourself, your organization will read into that, you know, in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, and I think one of the hardest things as a leader is, you know, and it happens is you make a decision, and then you know, two or three days or a week or two weeks later, you get more information that really shows that the decision you made wasn't the right decision. And to have the confidence to change the decision and explain it to your organization, um, is, you know, is really important. Um, and but you have to do it. And if you're if you're egotistical or arrogant about your decision when you make it, you know, you'll never you'll never go back and revisit. So just in our in our waning minutes here, I just wanted to just bring up one other point about um, you know managers. You know, there, there is the formal role of management as sort of being responsible for a piece of work, initiative, project, what have you. But then, you know, managers also, you know, increasingly are being asked to, uh, in all industries, I think, uh, work with cross-functional teams, work with, you know, members of other business units or other areas of the organization, um, which require where they may want to, um, they may not have direct authority over the ultimate decision. So it requires a level of influence in order to get things done. Um, so can you, can you help me understand a little bit, you know, about what your expectations are of managers, what you see uh, for those leaders who have informal authority, you know, not direct authority, but, you know, are required to uh, serve as influential leaders in their, in their organizations. You know, what, what works, what doesn't work, how do you, how do you identify it? Yeah, I mean, I can speak to that to some degree because we are developing sort of what we call a center of excellence, if you will. It's not the greatest working title, but it is what it is at the at the more of the brand or the corporate level. Um, and it's really meant to be a, a higher level of resource, you know, um, expertise uh, around growth. And um, it, it's very cross-functional. And I think it goes back to one of the comments Bill made earlier in the conversation is about how you create that, that culture of collaboration. One thing that sticks in my mind is that growth is very seductive. And when you get fixated as a company on just growth without having the, the proper balance of discipline, it, it gets you know, competitive and proprietary. And um, if you don't build the right culture within to welcome it and put down um, barriers, uh, you can get caught up in some non-productive behavior. I mean, I'm going to echo Jody. I mean, success in the ski industry is a team sport. Everybody has a role to play. Upper management and leadership, you know, I've used the line that, you know, like many of the 10 that are on the phone, when you're in your 20s and 30s, and you know, I would describe my 30s as, you know, in, within the ski industry, I got to play quarterback, and I tell you, it's it's heady and it's fun and it's great, but but when you become the top leader, whether it's a GM or a COO or a CEO, you have to become a coach, and you have to you have to relish being a coach 
you know, I can look at my own career and probably realize that even in my 30s and then clearly into my 40s, I, I made that transition from quarterback to coach. And I, I thrived on being the coach. You know, I thrive on trying to mentor people. I try to thrive on trying to grow people in, you know, the organization that I work in. Um, and I take, you know, you know, as you can look back on a career, I take more pride in the people that I've got to see grow in their career than any of my own success. And, you know, so I, 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 I really do believe in Brody that, you know, she's made that transition to coach too, where you don't get to play the game anymore, but you get to stand on the sideline. And the reality is you you want a team that I don't even have to call the plays. You know, they, they're so good at their job. It just happens. And before we wrap up, Paul has a question from the audience. What one skill do you feel up-and-coming leaders are lacking in order to be successful in the industry? Uh, patience. <laughs> First word that comes <laughs> to my mind is patience. You know, How does it show up? <laughs> there, you know, there's just so much on social media and entrepreneurship and you know, I, I even have uh, my own kids, um, you know, college aged and one's now in the working world um, over at Yelp and in San Francisco. And, you know, I see it a lot with some of our, our team members, too. It's just having the patience to get that experience um, kind of back mm-hmm. to what Bill said at the top as well, um, because not everybody it, could be a 25 year old CEO, I guess. Exactly. So I think it's truly finding your mentors, getting the coaching, like Bill said, and really playing to your strengths. And um, I, you know, I, I feel like everyone wants to solve. It's great to envision yourself as a GM or a CEO, um, but really enjoy the learning, the journey. That would be probably the one area where I see up and comers. you know, not having the patience to to really learn from really smart people around them. Phenomenal. Thanks, Jody. How about you, Bill? What are you seeing? I agree with Jody. I mean, I was (laughs) as guilty of it as anybody in my 20s and 30s. Patience was not not an attribute that I had. You know, and I'm going to share with you guys a a line I just, you know, the group I just heard, you know, six weeks ago for the first time in my life. But Mark Twain said that the two best days of your life are the day that you're born and the day you find out why. I would tell the 10 of you on the phone is understand your why. Yep. You know, your own personal why. Why? What are your goals? What are your objectives? And then be patient, to Jody's point, and put your head down and learn. And, and I agree with Jody. The journey, you know, when I look back on my career, the, ju- the journey was incredible. Um, I want to personally thank both of you for for uh, not just uh, your, your insights and your great stories, but also uh, your time, uh, because it's a, it's a precious commodity that we all have too little of, and really lovely to have a chance to you know, speak with you today and share share your insights with, uh, with this group of folks. So um, thank you very much, very, very much for this.
Since you have successfully arrived at the conclusion of episode one, then you, my friend, are a perfect candidate for my next request. Please rate and review Pod Sam on the podcast platform of your choice, but mostly iTunes. It helps other mountain-minded folk find the show. Also consider grabbing a coworker's phone and subscribing them. Episode two will feature John Rice, general manager of Sierra at Tahoe, and Blaze Carrick, senior advisor at Vail Resorts Mountain Division on the topic of problem solving. For more information about Sam's Summit Series, visit saminfo.com or dig into a recent print edition of the magazine. Theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Thanks again to Mountain Guard and Colorado State University for their support of the Summit Series. And get in touch if your organization would like to partner on upcoming episodes of PodSAM. Episode 2 will be out in mid-May. Until then, may your season pass sales beat your budget. Goodbye. Well, thanks all. Talk to you. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thank you.